show features Tyler Fornes and Deshaun Vaughn as they talk your Minnesota Vikings with you, the fans. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Climbing the Pocket Mondays, the first what and we are talking about after the Vikings have played a real football game. And let's start off with this. <laughs> Time to crack it open because we need some therapy tonight. And joining me is, as always, is my co-host, Deshaun Bond, and a real friend of the network, uh, Score North and Purple Dailies, Phil Mackey. Gentlemen, are we ready for some therapy this evening? Oh, my God. I thought you were just going to crack that beer and just pour it on your head and pass out. <laughs> oh, oh, we need it's tempting. We need something after that, man. After that Sunday. <laughs> Dude, like, okay, I know that I'll, I'll, I'll just start with this. When you have three false start penalties in your first five plays of the season, five scripted plays, mind you, that you've probably been scripting for like two weeks, that's a bad omen. That feels like a bad omen. Like, how are you not more organized than three false? And then, by the way, the sixth play was an Ole Udo holding call, I want to say. Heck heck of a way to stumble out of the gate, Vikings. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I was uh, sitting there uh, with my wife, and she was getting very upset. And I was just, like, thinking to myself, well, I feel like this has something to do with the fact that they really didn't play in front of fans at all last year. And I was trying to cut them a little bit of a break. But then it just got to be like, okay, this there's something else wrong here because after the first one, okay, I can understand that. Second one, you might be able to explain it and justify it. Third one's like, all right, is there any discipline on this team? Like, uh, do we need to send them to major pain? Or I don't <laughs> know what it was. It was just really rough to watch, and we're gonna dive into that. But first. We are going to have some major therapy regarding the quarterback position, and it's going to be a major wake-up call to a lot of people. And that those of you who have uh, been following our network for a long time that know that I, uh, I'm i always a man of my convictions, and I hold no punches back. Those of you who know Deshaun, it, it's the same exact way with him. And Phil has no problem speaking his mind. So you're, you're going to hear a lot of things tonight that are going to be, one, truthful, and two, it's it's going to be tough to hear, and if you're if it's the first time you're hearing these things, well, it's time to open your eyes and ears, ladies and gentlemen, because it, it's time for some truth serum. Yeah, I want to. I'd love to just sort of sit back for a minute and hear and hear what you guys think, because I have I've only been I've been sitting here. I feel like fighting with people on Vikings Twitter, and we've done our Purple Daily, but I don't I don't really know what either one of you guys thinks of what happened yesterday. So I'd, lo- I'd love to hear it and then react accordingly. Yeah, I, I'll go first. So after the game, after I um, went to the movies and let my thoughts sit because I couldn't sit alone after that game, <laughs> I posted some winners and losers, and I put Cousins and my losers. And the thing I saw the most was, he had 300 yards and two touchdowns, no turnovers or whatever, whatever. And I'm just sitting here and I'm just like, Cousins didn't really do anything to help us win that game. I mean, when you really go back and look at it, there people made a ton of mistakes. There were mistakes all over the place. JJ dropped a pass that probably he probably should have caught. The offensive line was gross. Dalvin fumbled that ball, even though I don't think it was a fumble, but we're not going to get into that. But when you look at Cousins, was there ever a point in the game 
where Cousins did something to compensate for anybody else. I mean, he needed K.J. Osborne to break a tackle and go 24 yards, to, I think, to score like our first touchdown or something like that. And then he took a ugly sack, a, a disgusting sack, and we just happened to get bailed out by a holding call in the end zone. Cousins was fine, I guess. But when you're playing the Bengals, we're playing like we're playing the Bengals. You expect Cousins to be more than fine. And he wasn't. And that's just not acceptable. We what he's your veteran quarterback. He shouldn't have week one issues. That's not something that should happen. The offensive line, there's a lot of young guys on the offensive line. I mean, like, besides Hill, I think everybody's like 26 and younger. So those guys are young. They're going to make mistakes. I get it. They put Cousins in a tough position. I mean, those third and longs, no one's really going to overcome those. But when Cousins had his chances, he had he needs to capitalize on almost all of them, and he didn't. And that's just that's just it. That's what happened. No, 100%. And I just want to adjust a couple things in the comments really quick. Guys, I we greatly appreciate you. And I, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to go on a long rant. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a ride. <laughs> Mary, you're 100% right. This team is undisciplined. It didn't feel like they were ready to play. I think you could talk about preseason, but I don't even think preseason matters a whole lot. Sean McVay dispelled that narrative a few years ago when they started off 8-0, I believe, in his first season as head coach. Preseason, you can get some reps, but honestly, you're a professional. This is what you do. You should really feel pretty comfortable after going to practice. Um, now, let's let's start with this. I saw a few people uh, talking about, well, Dak put up great numbers and he got praised. Well, why, why is Kirk getting blamed? It's not about blame. It's about, are you doing your job? And right now, the answer with Kirk is absolutely not. Dak did his job. His job is to carry the Dallas Cowboys and get them in chances to win football games. And he did exactly that. He was able to manipulate the offense. He was able to be explosive. He was able to uh, create off-platform, off-structure, that when the play collapsed in front of him, he was able to make things happen. Did Kirk do any of those things? No. And Just to interject, Tampa Bay's defense was all over Dak all night, and he still Mm -hmm. performed very well. The only center that played worse pass blocking than Garrett Bradbury this past weekend was Tyler Biotis, the second-year guy out of Wisconsin, who allowed seven pressures to Vita Vea and Indomitian Sue. Now, when you're playing that kind of defensive line, okay, we'll, we'll just kind of let that sink in. It's, it is what it is. He's a young player. He had hip surgery after his junior year. And he never really got back to that potential first-round status that he had at that point. Now, Kirk Cousins, you're paying him like a top-three quarterback. You're expecting him to overcome. You're expecting him to do all these things. Hey, well, we're in a bad spot. We need you to be better. We need you to rise up and lead this team. He didn't do that. He doesn't do that. You you can count on one hand the times that uh, Kirk has done that in his career. Green Bay week two, the tie, He after the team just played really poorly, he led them in the fourth quarter and then led them in overtime for a potential game-winning kick, and it got missed. You know, you can give him credit for that. You can give him credit for Denver, that second half, coming down from 20 to nothing to win that football game. He absolutely deserves credit for that, and there are a couple others out there as well. But 
time in and time out when you need Kirk to be great, when you need Kirk to, hey, we have no running game. We need you to step up. Hey, we need you to overcome poor blocking. We need you to overcome our receivers being covered. We need you to overcome injuries. He can't do that. He hasn't done that. And there are too many people who are trying to make excuses and apologize for Kirk Cousins, when in reality, we need to have bigger expectations. You want to know why we aren't the Green Bay Packers every single year contending for Super Bowls? You want to know why we aren't the New England Patriots, the Baltimore Ravens, who are the best-run organization in football? We don't have those expectations for ourselves. This is a wake-up call. This isn't something that has been is not a week one overreaction. This team is not good. And we need to stop apologizing for it. We need to understand that there needs to be structural changes. There needs to be a foundation shakeup. And it starts with a quarterback. Kirk needs to figure it out. He needs to be able to overcome. We're going to go to Arizona next week. And Raymond, I'll tell you this, you should not cancel your flight. Because at the end of the day, even if the Vikings don't play well, you get to watch a top young quarterback who is dynamic who had multiple plays against the Tennessee Titans where he made absurd throws, where he escaped pressure. When the defense was bearing down on him, he ran away and made plays. That's the kind of thing you want from your quarterback. You want a guy who's going to come and make plays. All right? And I, I see it, Matthias in the comments. Uh, shut up with Dak. Kirk sucks. That makes your reasons better than saying shut up about Dak. Look, Dak's great. And he makes incredible things happen. And Kirk doesn't. We need to understand that. We need to not throw 50 times in a game and only run nine play action passes. This felt like a John Filippo game. And you can say that, hey, that's Clint Kubiak. You can say it's the fact that we had to run 11 personnel. Sean McVay runs 11 personnel, runs like 55, 60% of the time. That's an excuse. If you want to run the football, you can run the football. You have Dalvin Cook. You have a great run blocking offensive line. You have receivers who are willing to block. We need to stop making excuses for this team, and we need we need to be cutthroat. We need to be aggressive, and we need to be like, we're not okay with this. We want change. We want our team to be great. We want our quarterback to rise up and be great like we're paying him to be. And quite frankly, it's just not there. And I, I'm, I'm tired of – Raymond, exactly, since 1970. It's been a bunch of crap since 1970 with some good years scattered throughout. We need to hold this team accountable like they're not willing to hold themselves accountable. And it's it's just sad to see how much positivity there is with this team. And we need to stop looking at the Kool-Aid. We need to look past it and see what other organizations are doing to be successful and why we are not. That's my rant. Kirk stinks. He either needs to take a $15 million pay cut or he needs to go. All right. In red. Oh, I love it. So yeah, that was uh love it. You guys, I think, I think it kind of feels like, and this isn't just a Vikings fan thing. This is a, this is a twins fan thing. Oftentimes this is a, I don't know. The Timberwolves have just been, I love the Timberwolves, but they, you know, it's, it's hard to even like talk about them until they do something. Mm-hmm. Like make the play in, like just get to the, just be the ten seed, I guess. But uh, we've gotten so comfortable with good enough, and it and it has felt like with even with the Wilf ownership group, but from ownership down to fans, front office, in between, obviously, it has felt like everyone who's a stakeholder in Vikings football is more concerned with 
Just making sure that you're not a train wreck. Just don't be a train wreck. Kirk Cousins is train wreck proof. He's good enough to where you're not going to go three and, well, let me do the math now, three and 14, 14. right? Like you're not like he's, he's, he's too good for you to be a train wreck, but he's not good enough off script mobility, late in games, trailing. Like when the other team knows you're going to throw, he's not good enough to rise up in most of those moments. And that's why the Vikings don't win a lot of those games. But you're not going to be a disaster. And it, but it's like we're so obsessed with just avoiding being a disaster that we've lost sight of the fact that it's been 60 years and this franchise has done anything and everything there is to do except win a Super Bowl. Super Bowl should be the goal. And so when we talk about, well, the offense was pretty good last year. They were fourth in yards and 11th in points. And I say 11th in points ain't winning you a Super Bowl. And quite frankly, fourth in yards, unless you have a top five defense, probably isn't winning you a Super Bowl. You know, look look at the team. Look at the best teams in the NFL offensively. They're scoring thirty plus points a game. It's the Chiefs. It's the Bucks. It's the it's the Packers. It's the Bills. It's the teams that were playing on Championship Weekend last year, and they are scoring five to seven points more per game than the Vikings were. Why is that? There's a million reasons, but the quarterback's not good enough. The play calling's not aggressive enough. Um, the defense last year wasn't good enough, but the defense by and large under Zimmer has been good enough. Like you don't need the 1985 Bears defense every year to win a Super Bowl. You, you need a high octane offense and an aggressive passing offense. That's what usually wins Super Bowls. Um, real quick on the Kirk thing, I think most people know where I stand with Kirk. I just like I don't I don't think he's garbage. I don't think he stinks. Tyler said he stinks. Tyler's way too <laughs> negative on Kirk. Okay, I don't think he's I don't think he stinks, but I think. People people get confused when 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 you throw out a critique of Kirk. People say you can't blame. They use the word blame. You can't blame Kirk. It's not Kirk's fault. The word fault or blame, right? Um, it's not Kirk's fault that they lost that game yesterday. How can you blame him? I'm not. Deshaun just said, like, I'm not blaming him for it. We did our pie chart of blame on Purple Daily today. I did 15 percent uh, Zimmer's revamped run defense. 15% Zimmer's revamped pass defense, uh, 30% general just confusion and poor leadership all over the offensive side of the ball, uh, 25% everyone who was involved in Garrett Bradbury's position as the starting center, uh, and then 15% video replay botching the Dalvin Cook fumble. Nowhere in there is Kirk Cousins listed as being blamed or at fault for the loss, but when you're paying the second highest cap hit in the NFL to a quarterback, you expect that when things are chaotic around him, things aren't going well. The defense isn't playing well. The offensive line is having a hard time. I need my quarterback who's getting paid second most money to the cap to rise up more often than he does, which is almost never. And that's all I'm saying. Or if he was a little bit more self-aware and took a massive pay cut or a contract extension that smoothed out that cap hit and said, listen, I know I got my money. There's going to be generations of Kirk Cousins kids and grandkids that are going to be fine. They're going to be able to feed their kids for generations. I want to win a Super Bowl. He doesn't have that awareness either. He plays hardball every chance he gets for a new contract. Um, and so like those things, I'm not saying he's garbage. I'm just saying it's going to be almost impossible to win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins as your starting quarterback. Does it mean he was at fault yesterday? Is up 
in moments of crisis. Exactly. And uh, Sorry, let's, I think let's I cut out there. I, think, I, I might have blacked out there for a second. I'm not sure. what. <laughs> That's OK. That's OK. We're just going to blame Declan and just kind of move on. Uh, so <laughs> uh, let's let's delve into some of these uh, narratives with Kirk. You know, I, as far as the business side, I don't blame Kirk one bit for trying to get every dollar he can. Every player should try to get every dollar he can. Like not everybody has the luxury of Tom Brady, who's married to a woman who makes four times as much as he does. He has he has the, flex, the financial flexibility to be able to do that. You know, from a performance side, he absolutely should take a pay cut. And I don't think that's a relative hot take. So it's kind of a balancing act there. Now, my biggest issue with Kirk is he's a very good deep ball thrower who refuses to take chances. He doesn't lead receivers. He doesn't try and throw guys open when he's on. He's really good. He's probably going to be offensive player of the month in October like he is almost every year. Like he's going to have that stretch Best of time of year. Yeah. He's, he's going to have that stretch <laughs> of games. Where he's just, yeah. He's going to have that stretch of games where he's fantastic. And then he's, it's going to be like just that, that myth dispelling time where it's like, Oh, you see how good Kirk is. You see how he can lead this team. Well, at the end of the day, when you throw 49 times and you have uh, like, I think it was what four completions past 15 yards depth of target with how many times that team was on third and 10 third and 15 third and 20 like to only throw the ball that far that few times is quite frankly unacceptable kirk's a top five deep ball thrower in football who refuses to throw the deep ball like you're really good at it do it Mm -hmm. It, it, we're not asking for you to be patrick mahomes because it's an unattainable level not asking you to be tom brady we're asking you to be better within the confines of who you are you can do these things. You refuse to do it. His average after the target was what? It was like 5.5 or 5.8. Like that's oh, yeah. putrid. Yeah. Like I, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I bet Teddy Bridgewater's was higher. I bet when he came in for uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke's was higher. Tua's was probably higher. Mac Jones. Like we're not talking about guys with absolute rocket arms who are known for pushing the ball down the field, but Kirk is really good at it. And he has two top 15 receivers in Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson to be able to do that. And he didn't even try yesterday that the issues aren't necessarily that it's his fault. It's that he refuses to do the things to take it to the next level. And because of his refusal to take it to the next level is why we're sitting here today, incredibly frustrated that we lost to a Bengals team that we honestly should have won beat by double digits. And it, this is a constant conversation. Like that Seahawks game where we lost by one point last year. If Kirk rises up and plays and does a few more things differently, we probably win by double digits mm -hmm. because of how good he can be. Like the uh, Bears game last year, the Cowboys game last year, a few extra plays of him trying to push the ball down the field could flip those games easily. Like hey, here's here's one here's one more thing, and then and then I'll shut up so Deshaun can jump in here too. But um. <laughs> Like, like, I hate that this is I, – I feel like all I talk about sometimes is Kirk Cousins because I just think that until until you may, until you do something different at that position and with that chunk of money, it's just going to be hard to win a Super Bowl, and that's all I want to see this team do is win a Super Bowl. But um, they're playing the Bengals in week one, and I get that it's a road game, but it's the Bengals. That roster is nowhere near complete. They have holes all over the place. It's not a playoff team. I do think Joe Burrow is – really really good and he made some dagger throws in that game so they're not 
the garbage team that maybe they've been portrayed. They're not the Jets, but like that's not a good football team. How many of the top six, seven, eight quarterbacks in the NFL and their teams lose that game? Like, does Russell Wilson roll into Cincinnati and 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 trail by two touchdowns in the second half and lose that game? Do the Tampa Bay Bucks with Tom Brady march in and lose that game? You know, like, no. Sorry, dudes. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Declan, what are you doing, man? Oh, man. No, I've, I've had tech I, issues all day here, even with our show earlier today. But my grand point is, how many of the top quarterbacks in the NFL and their teams lose that game to Cincinnati? I'll, I'll say this because it popped into my head as you were talking about Russell Wilson. He almost did lose to Cincinnati at home. They beat the the Bengals 21-20. to 20. So, like, I, it's your point is well withstanding, but I I just I figured I would at least mention it. Like the Bengals sure. aren't a bad team, but with how aggressive Zach Taylor is, they're not horrendous either. They're they're that team where you need to put them away early, or you're going to have to deal with them later on in the game. And Joe Burrow has proven to be a really good quarterback. He had the best college football season of any player his senior year at LSU, and then he, you give him three really good weapons. You have a great running back behind him. And the offensive line, while not great, at least has two good tackles. And that's a huge deal when you're dealing with Daniil Hunter. Like, the fact that we didn't put this team away early, I think, is the bigger issue. I think the Bengals will probably win five or six games this year just because Burrow is that good. And, like, why can't we put this team away? I, I think it's a it's a catechism for the entire team. Because the defense wasn't great. The offense wasn't great. You know what was great? And let's get some positivity here. Special teams. Special teams <laughs> was great yesterday. The, re- the, re- the return game was fine. It was competent. The punter, Jordan Berry, was fantastic. All right? Greg Joseph looked like a true NFL kicker. Ice in his veins. Like, he was he was focused, ready to go. He was, yeah, that's a, that's a top five off. most clutch kick in Vikings history, man. 53 right? yards at the buzzer. Then he just walks and then he back, made it twice. Puts the hat on. Yeah. 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 Ooh, like it, was... the special teams unit was the, was the biggest plus for this game. And we should have been able to put this team early with how good and talented this team is. So it's, it's frustrating. So I will say there were some things that happened in this game that you're not going to see. Every week, I, I'll, I'll give them that benefit of the doubt. The you're not going to see false starts like that every week. You probably won't even see refs call holding that much, even if it actually happens. You probably won't even see them call it that much anyway. This mm-hmm. was like this was like the textbook Vikings mess up game. You struggle early, you struggle a lot early. You allow the team to get ahead, and then you just kind of plummet from there. And they were able to come back because, like you guys said, the Bengals really aren't a good team. So they were able to get it to overtime, but then they just kind of made that last mistake and wasn't able to make up for it. So going into next week, I think we're going to see a completely different performance. Um, Kyler Murray looked insane against the Titans, but we got to remember Titans don't really have a defense beyond their defensive line. So some of the stuff he was doing was like backyards, like kid stuff. And he was like executing it against grown adults. But I think we'll see a much more competent kind of three-phase from the Vikings next week. Whether we win or not, that remains to be seen because we have to 
guard DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray at the same time. But I think if we see a blowout loss next week to the Cardinals is when things will start to get a little dicey. I think Zimmer gets on that yeah. hot seat because now we have to go and play Russell Wilson, which, frankly, we just don't beat him. I mean, no matter what, we just don't beat Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. And then we have to play a very good Cleveland team coached by our former offensive coordinator. Yeah. This is a slippery slope from Mike Zimmer, and I think he has a lot to prove next week against a young quarterback who's very good, has a very good offense, and a very good signal caller, too. Mm-hmm. I think they will be watching this game very closely saying, like, is this something we should be doing instead of Mike Zimmer? I legit I think this this Cardinals game is the easiest of the next three, and it's not and it and it, it you're not going to be favored. I don't think in any of these next three games. Um, but if they don't beat the Cardinals, whew, like you almost then have to win either Seattle or Cleveland to even keep your season alive. Like the season is on the line in the next three weeks because you lost that game yesterday. That's how mm-hmm. sort of dire the the next three games are and the caliber of opponents. I agree completely. And Deshaun, I I think you laid everything out really nicely, especially regarding how things looked and how you're not, we're not going to see a lot of those little nuances. Uh, And, you know, it felt like one, we got to remember it's week one for the refs too. Like, and all the false starts and stuff, that's not going to happen every week. But I also think it's an overarching point for why we are so critical of Kirk Cousins. And he was unable to overcome those things. Whereas another quarterback would. And I think when you're paying him that much, you're paying him to overcome those things. And I think that's our big frustration is he can't do it. He's done it once, twice, maybe three or four, but he needs to be able to do that regularly. Like there's a reasons why Patrick Mahomes' war is two games higher than Kirk Cousins. Like you win above replacement levels that much higher. That's, that's alarming considering what your commitment is to this player. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we could go on and on about how much we hate how this season has started, how much like Kirk Cousins has frustrated us, but we've already spent a half hour on it. We should, we should move forward and we should talk about a couple other things here with the game before we kind of move on to uh, the Cardinals and our players of the week. Um, State of the offensive line. And I think we saw a lot of really good things from the offensive line. Oldie Udo, for the most part, held his own. He had a couple penalties. But he wasn't incompetent. He was much better than Dakota Dozier. And that's all you're asking. Competent level play from your guards. And for the most part, we had that. But I think we really need to talk about Garrett Bradbury and how Garrett Bradbury probably should not start another game for the Minnesota Vikings because of, he's getting forklifted by people 40 to 50 pounds smaller than him. Like I, I, don't, I don't understand how he can't use, utilize leverage and squat with his smallish frame, his short arms, and get underneath the pad level. Like, in concept, it's so easy, but he can't do it. And I think you need to chalk it up to a bust. It's the antithesis of why Rick Spielman has not been a great GM for the last few years, but we won't dive into that today. We'll dive into that more moving forward. And it's it's frustrating because we talked about it. And, Phil, I know you've talked about it too. If you have competent guard play next to Bradbury – maybe that fixes him because he won't have to worry about guys next to him. He can just focus on his own responsibilities. Well, with the one-week sample size of having better guard play next to him, it didn't go very well. And Rashad Hill yeah. was fine for a backup, but he can't be starting multiple games. You need Darius back ASAP. 
but he was okay. And O'Neill was O'Neill graded almost an 80 in PFF. Like that's a big deal. Yeah, it's um, I, I, God, I wish I could say you're overreacting on the Garrett Bradbury take, but it's the, it's the same thing week after week. He, he, mm-hmm. he was the worst graded pass blocking center in the NFL last year and the year before, according to pro football focus. So it's, it's not like, oh, well, he got a little better and let's just kind of see. You know, he's been a disaster as a pass blocker the last two years. And once again, he was one of the lowest graded pass blocking offensive linemen. And, you know, I, I'll steal a phrase from PFF Eric Eager, who says all the time, offensive line is a weak link system. It's not as much mm-hmm. about paying top dollar to all five guys and getting five elite dudes like you would. You know, if you could get an elite quarterback, it'll change your entire franchise for 10 years. It's literally about avoiding the Dakota Dozier, Garrett Bradbury disasters. If you could just have five average offensive linemen, especially with a, 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 a non-mobile quarterback, you're going to do really well protecting. And they just can't. I mean, in that game, you know, the, the penalties were I – mean, the, the offensive linemen were penalized nine times, which is ridiculous. And I agree with Deshaun that there might have been some point-of-emphasis things being – hammered into the officials' brains going into week one. Right? We're going to call some taunting. We're going to call more holding. We're going to rein this thing in, and then they'll loosen up come, like, October. Um, but when Bradbury is allowing four pressures and Rashad Hill is allowing pressures and having you know three penalties called on him, um, left tackle, center, like, those are just non-starters if you're going to be disastrous at those positions. Like, you're not – as much as I rip on Kirk, you're not even giving Kirk – the best chance to be the best version of himself when that's happening on a regular basis. All right. I will say here, cause I think everybody knows, uh, you know, I like Gary Bradbury. I think I, you know. <laughs> most Deshaun of his pressure on that Island by himself right now. <laughs> yeah, I'll, Bradbury, I'll Bradbury I'll Island <laughs> population three, Deshaun and Garrett's parents. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of his pressures did come after that 2.4, 2.5 second time. I will say that. It was a lot of on those third and longs when guys knew we were throwing a football. And that's just, we know what Gary Bradbury is now. We know he's not the drop back guy that's just going to protect your passer on third and 15, third and 20. And I, that's just something we're kind of living with at this point in time. I, Kirk did him absolutely no favors the entire game. The, I mean, the penalties also did him no favors. But I, he needs a short release this season. If he continues to be like that, Mason, him and Mason Cole are kind of like the same player, but Cole's kind of like slightly better. So if Bradbury does continue to be bad, I do think he needs to be benched. I feel like he just needs like that, that kick that, hey, like we can't keep doing this every week. Like I'm going to sit you this week and let Cole play because we just we can't afford to have that happen. So... I think he gets another go against the Cardinals. I think he'll play better. And also, you know, throw some play actions in there. That 50-something throws, but like, it was like seven or eight play actions. is just insane. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little more lenient this week. I think Kirk kind of put him in some bad positions. They were in bad positions all day. But he does need that lead shortened a lot, especially now because we have depth. It's not Brett Jones back there anymore. We have a guy who can step in, play, and be better in run blocking and pass blocking. 
So I think you shorten that leash, but I think he'll perform better next week. Was the lack of play action play calls just because they were in so many second and third and longs where it just like you can't even show play action. It's pointless. You're just wasting time because they know you're not going to run the ball. I'll dispel that because there there have been studies where it doesn't matter necessarily what the situation is on like first and second down. If you have run action, you will see some positive out of that. You'll you'll be able to free some guys. It, even if it's like the Vikings have run on second and long consistently the last couple of seasons. Why should yeah. a, a play action on second and 15 like not be bought into because of our history and what these guys study on film? You know, run, do some run action. It's OK to have run action. And even if it's a blatant passing down. So here, here's but, here's another interesting stat here. So the Vikings, according to PFF, they ran eight play actions. Tyler, you had him nine somewhere, so eight or nine, whatever, whatever it is. Yep. They were six of eight. So all right, six of eight on play action. Okay, cool. How many yards? Forty-two. Five point three yards per attempt on play action in that game. So mostly checkdowns on play action in that game yesterday. And again, I'd, I'm not I'm not the one that's going like were were the Bengals playing two safeties over the top and just saying, listen, like we don't think if we put two safeties over the top, Kirk's not going to throw it. So we'll just we'll just live with under. I mean, that's that's what it seems to me. I guess forty two yards on eight attempts play action is not good, to say the least. It's absolutely not good, and we kind of saw how play action has been utilized by the Vikings in the past in the Rams game right away. Like it was the second or third play Matthew Stafford boot action throws all the way across the field on that, on that deep crosser touchdown to Van Jefferson, like 70 yards. We've seen that time and time again. You want the, you want the Matthew Stafford uh, play action numbers here. This is ridiculous. It's, it's probably, I don't think we need that. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to shove it down your throats. No. All right. Matthew Stafford was eight for eight on play action, 19 yards per attempt, eight for eight for 155 yards and two touchdowns. (laughs) Yeah. Don't show that to Nick. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we, we can't exactly, you know, say that this is uh, something you should expect every week, but there's no reason why Kirk couldn't have uh, come close to at least any of those numbers. The eight attempts, like as far as like with a good average depth of target, eight completions, the yardage, like he's done it before. He should be able to do it again. And the, the lack of it, I think is the most frustrating thing. And it kind of tied this in with the offensive line. Deshaun, I understand kind of your point of view with Garrett Bradbury and it has merit, but at the same time, I think the counter argument is Garrett Bradbury has not improved at all in pass protection in two years. And this is year three. And in the little sample size we have, there's been no improvement from day one until now. He has multiple games of a zero pass blocking hey, grade. Hey, hey, we're not going to do this. <laughs> there has been improvement. Okay, look. I, I, got, okay, okay. I got the numbers. There's, there's some improvement look. there. It ain't much, uh, but it's something. Okay, well, if there's a tiny bit of improvement, but he, he was. Pre- this isn't an attack on you, okay? Like uh, the, the the big thing is that you're expecting him. You expected him day one to be a starter in the National Football League, the most pro ready offensive lineman in the 2019 draft class. 
And he was bad initially. And you're like, okay, center is the hardest position of these to figure out because you have to call protections. You are in the middle of the offensive line. There's a learning curve. Okay, that's 100% fair. There's a learning curve. We should start to see some improvement year, game after game, year after year. That's fair. You know, that he is a guy who struggled with pass blocking and anchor in college. Well, year two, we didn't see that improvement. We were hoping that he would have been able to spend the offseason, especially the fact it was a COVID offseason, and he wasn't able to do like mini camps and stuff, that he would be hitting the weight room, doing a bunch of squats, doing a bunch of hand cleans to try and really get that strength down. It didn't come to fruition last year. Now we're seeing the same things as 2020. He's getting forklifted by, it feels like, everybody. He doesn't have a good anchor. He's still not strong enough to be able to deal with these interior defensive linemen. Like, he's your guy, and you should fight for your guy. But at, he he's the center of my football team, and he's – I don't think he's capable of starting. I, I think we need a segment. Maybe you guys can do this every week, all right? So this is my gift to you. This is a new segment for you. We just need a block of time where Deshaun defends players that fans hate. Like, that you, that's, you have, that Deshaun's <laughs> going to say three nice things – all right, coming up next, Deshaun's going to say three nice things about Laquan Treadwell, Cordero <laughs> oh, Patterson. <laughs> all right, look, I like as a wrestling fan, I'm all about gimmicks, and that that's a fun one. And considering Deshaun's <laughs> knowledge and study of the game, I think that'd be really fun. We'll talk about it after the show. Yeah, don't give me Laquan Treadwell though. That's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> who who was the uh, who? I think we we just we did random Viking of the week a couple weeks ago on Purple Daily, and I, now I can't remember who it was. Who was the fourth round pick that I think it was when Matt Khalil got hurt like five years ago? TJ and this Clemens. dude had to go. TJ Clemmings, yeah, Whoa. another one right there. <laughs> TJ Clemmings. He got thrown into the fire way before he was ready. It was absolutely mm-hmm. terrible. Deshaun, say three nice things about TJ Clemmings. Uh, yeah, I ain't got nothing. He had nice hair. I know he had he, yes. had, a, he had a great set of hair. That he did. And hey, with that, we'll move on and we'll stop making uh, Deshaun feel bad about his love for Garrett Bradbury. And we'll talk about this defensive performance. And I think one of the tough things about this defensive performance is how do we judge it? Do we judge it on the merit of the fact that it's Mike Zimmer and you need to have this defense in tip-top shape? The cornerbacks that were all brand new, you can kind of count McKellen's Alexander is not brand new, but he only spent a year away from the team and he was with Zimmer for four. You have in a whole new interior defensive line. DJ Wanham is starting and he didn't have a great game, but Nick Vigil came in and, and he was not a liability and he flashed and he had a couple really nice plays. Do we give this defense a little bit of a break considering there's so many new pieces or do we blame uh, the defense and Zimmer for not performing considering where they're, where they are, who's calling the defense and how much talent you have on it? Like, how do we, how do we quantify this? So when I, when I went back and looked at it, there were a few mental mistakes. So they took advantage of some players for sure. And there were also a few mental mistakes that kind of bust this game wide open. So that Breland touchdown I'm not sure if there was supposed to, if Breland was supposed to be deep. Now, when I looked at it again, they called a blitz on that play, and it looked like someone occupied the wrong gap and kind of held Kendricks up, so the blitz didn't work. And if you watch it, Breland's just looking in the backfield the entire time. He doesn't even turn his head. 
So in my opinion, it looked like Breland was waiting to make a play on like a quick burrow pass. The blitz didn't get there and Jamar Chase just runs right by him for what was probably like the worst touchdown in the game. It was like just pitch and catch for Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. It was so easy. And then DJ Wanham was getting picked on all game in the run game. Um, the guy, I think his name was Mike. I can't remember. Our last guest, the Bengals expert. Mike uh, said they, they, he, uh, Yeah, he said the Bengals switched run game coordinators back to the guy they had when Joe Mixon was doing pretty well. And that showed. They picked on DJ Wanham. They, they were just doing well in the run game. So next week, what we'll see, we'll see them. I think Cam Dancer will be back. I think he's uh, in the doghouse. I don't think that'll last very long. Chris Boyd came in. I think he only played like four cover snaps. He was not good. He should have gave up a touchdown. I think he actually did end up giving up a touchdown. But like his first covered snap, guy was running wide open. So I think we'll see Cam Danto back. I think we'll get a little bit of a better rotation. I don't think we'll see DJ Wanham starting. Steven Weatherly came in and provided an instant spark in run defense. He was beating his guy consistently and the run. And that's when we saw the Bengals have to punt like three or four drives in a row because Steven Weatherly was allowing other guys to make plays on the ball. He re, he redirected Joe Mixon every time he ran, he ran towards him. Patrick Peterson was fine. Eric Kendricks played well. Like you said, Nick Vigil played pretty okay for somebody who's just filling in that pass rush. There was, there was a problem there. Daniel Hunter was being doubled and triple teamed. There's a picture going around Twitter of like Daniel Hunter being like hugged by like three offensive linemen asking, and the captions like asking like, "Why didn't he do anything all game?" I think you'll see a lot more Sheldon Richardson. Um, I saw a tweet out there saying that he played the least amount of snaps in his like entire career. He's arguably our second best pass rusher, so I think we'll see more of him. I think we'll see more of Weatherly. I think we'll see more of Griffin. And we'll start to see more veteran presence. And we'll start to be able to get pass rush without having to create. So I think this defense kind of deserves a pass. Because we saw them actually. It's, it's the, defense is, the defense is why we were in the game. The Bengals had us put They should have had us put away. Zach Taylor goes for this stupid fourth down call. I don't know what that was about. But they stop it. They allow us to come back. Unfortunately, they weren't able to stop him that last draft of overtime. I mean, they I think they stopped him two drives in overtime or something. And then Mike Pierce is like turning into the ultimate finesse player. He's like Cam Hayward on the inside now. So I think this defense will be fine. We saw some mental mistakes that we'll see clear up as we kind of fix the depth chart also. Not great performance. You want you want to see them shut someone like the Bengals down. But in this day and age of the NFL, you have a good quarterback. You have what seems to be a pretty solid play caller. You're not going to stop offenses forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are a lot of good points. I, I, I would I would point out two things. Um, number one, I and the broadcast team, albeit I'm not a big Chris Myers. Chris Myers is like, you know that you've got the bottom of the barrel matchup when he's your play-by-play guy on Fox. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> um, uh, but but the, the broadcast crew did a good job of pointing out the different looks up front the Vikings defense was giving. There was There were some plays where you'd have Dalvin Tomlinson and Michael Pierce both lined up on the same side of the formation, overloading your two nose tackles, right? Like um, that type of stuff we haven't seen before with Mike Zimmer. So different formations and different looks, but the, my, my main takeaway and my main point, and I pretty much agree with everything you just said, is they just added or got back from injury like Eight guys, right? So, like, who are the returners who played heavy snaps last year? Harrison Smith, 
Um, Eric Hendricks played about three quarters of the season. So Daniil Hunter's new, quote unquote, at least with this group. Michael Pierce is new. Dalvin Tomlinson's new. Uh, Weatherly is back. And Wanham is still young, but I guess Wanham counts because he played last year. Um, but then you're bringing in, uh, for yesterday's game anyways, Nick Vigil has never played a snap with the Minnesota Vikings before. Xavier Woods has never played a snap with the Vikings before. Bashad Breland, Patrick Peterson, like even Mackenzie Alexander was gone last year. So it's all these dudes are playing together for the first time. I don't think it was realistic to expect lights out defensive performances in the early games for the Vikings. Like we have to give this until October, maybe mid October for everything to gel. And the question is going to be how well can they hold it together against some really tough opponents now that you've lost in week one, because by the time you get your defense together, if you're one in four, it might not matter. So like, they're in a tough spot. They have to they have to get this thing clicking for Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, and I'm not going to say Baker Mayfield. I'll say Kevin Stefanski's scheme and that offensive line and those weapons and uh, Baker Mayfield driving a Ferrari on offense. Uh, you don't really have time to sort of, well, we'll just take a few weeks to get our footing defensively. It's like, no, you got Russell Wilson in two weeks. You got Kyler Murray in six days. You got to figure it out. So it's tough. I agree 100%. This is, it's a very difficult situation the Vikings have put themselves in by losing what feels like a gimme game. I think the one thing that we can hope for with this team is when you look back to 2015 and how we absolutely blew that game against the 49ers, who ended up not a very good football team. They didn't come close to making the playoffs. I believe that was Colin Kaepernick's last or second to last year as a starter. And as far as like numbers go and everything, he wasn't exactly great. Um, and we just got absolutely lambasted in that game. Came back, won the division eleven and five. So I think that was the Carlos that, Hyde game, man. That was uh, oh, nope. Hyde was a monster. <laughs> um, and I, I think when you look at all of that, it kind of gives you some hope here. But they need to figure things out real quick if they want to make any kind of noise. The Cardinals were a very big pretender last year. They started hot and they finished real ice cold. Right now they're hot, and Kyler Murray looks like he's starting to figure it out as an NFL quarterback, and we'll kind of move into a little bit of a preview of this game. Um, kind of the, the big things that we need to look for, we need to look for this offense gelling. We need to look for Kirk Cousins maximizing his efficiency, not having a 5.5 average depth of target, pushing the ball down the field, making plays, and not allowing the offensive line's poor play to hinder him, escape the pocket, manipulate it, maneuver within it, avoid pressure, all things that he has shown he can do from time to time but doesn't do consistently, do it two or three times against the Cardinals and make a play, and maybe we'll see a different outcome. I'm going to be looking a lot at that offensive line and Kirk Cousins, how they perform within themselves, because you can't be happy with a 350-yard performance from Cousins considering it was basically college air raid style, dink and dunk. Like There wasn't a whole lot of effort to really push the ball down the field. Um, Deshaun, what are you uh, looking for most against the Arizona Cardinals here this next weekend? I think I'm, I'm looking to that defense to be able to slow down Kyler Murray. I think that is going to be the most important thing. Not letting the Cardinals get hot early is what's going to help us win this game. I think if the Cardinals come in and they score like 14 points, 21 points, back-to-back-to-back drives, uh, I don't know, it's not going to be too good for us. So I think we got to give this offense a chance to – Get in, get settled. They gotta. They're gonna have to put up points early because 
this is an offense that can put up points very fast. So they're going to have to put up points early, but I think this defense is going to have to do their best to slow down Kyler Murray. Uh, I'm looking for the Vikings to be the first team in NFL history to start eight offensive linemen with four of them just hovering over Chandler Jones. Like that's, that's what I'm looking for on Sunday. Just, all right. So, uh, Mason Cole, get over here for a second. Uh, Dakota Dozier, we're going to bring you back in here. We just want you to stand there. Just be a big thing for Chandler Jones to have to go around. And, uh, Jefferson, you'll be the only wide receiver. So I guess I, I mean, the offensive line was already tested, there are many more tests on the horizon and Chandler Jones is the next one. So if they, if they don't get things fixed up, um, I just don't see how there's going to be much of a difference in anything offensively. So, yeah. And I, I love Kyler Murray, man. He is so fun to watch human joystick. Uh, it won't be fun to watch him juking the Vikings defense on Sunday, but he is just from a football fan standpoint, that dude is a really fun player to watch. He is a really fun player to watch, and I, I hope he does have success outside of this week. Phil, I'm I'm going to uh, drop a uh, picture into your DMs really quick that I think you will find hilarious considering what what we just talked about, uh, having like four offensive linemen just hovering over a player. It's a picture of Cal versus Washington either last year, 2019, where it's a quarterback and there's 10 guys lined up in front of him, and it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen while watching college film. It's, it, no, it, they're all tight ends and offensive linemen. No receivers, no running backs, nothing. And it's yeah, you'll have to check that out post game. Um, anyways, we'll uh, we'll go with this, Phil. I'll give you a, a couple minutes to kind of think. We on uh, CTP Mondays give our player of the week, uh, whether it be uh, offensive player, defensive player, special teams. Um, so we'll give you a minute to kind of think of that. Uh, I am going to give my player of the week. Uh, to uh, Jordan Barry, the punter. Uh, he had a fantastic game. He was able to flip the field and when backed up, he didn't short kick punts. He was getting it past the 40-yard line. He was able to control the field position game, and he wasn't bad. He was a competent punter. He held the ball well uh, for the kicks, and it, it was a real nice change of pace. It felt like the first year Britton Colcote was here, and Colcote was a top-five PFF punter. Jordan Barry was a good punter yesterday and I hope that continues but everybody I know that uh, with Pittsburgh has uh, said the same thing that he is a good punter but they also just uh, drafted Presley Harvin the third who is like 6'2 270 with an absolute cannon of a leg so yeah you can't say no to just a thick boy punter uh, Deshaun I'm sorry. Well, I'm, I, I cut out and I come back and I just hear thick boy punter at the end of that <laughs> sentence and uh, here we go that that warrants yeah. this football. <laughs> we will we will see him um, when we play the Steelers this year. He is a mammoth of a man. So that uh, just just fun to see somebody that large as a punter. Deshaun, who's your player of the week this week? Player of the week, I have to go with Michael Pierce. Man, he misses the entire year. He comes back. And he matches his season high in sacks. Michael Pierce has never gotten more than two sacks in a season. Baltimore used him as a two-down player. He comes in and he shows some super athletic move. He wasn't out here bull rushing people, even though he was also doing that. He was in Trey Hopkins. I highlighted Trey, Ho- Ho- Trey Hopkins when we spoke to our uh, Bengals guy. Trey Hopkins is solid. 
he's no pushover, mm-hmm. and he was getting Hopkins with technique style stuff. I tweeted out. I think Andre Patterson might have done it again. He's taken a player who was thought to just be this one guy. He's taught him some things, and now he's out there translating on the field. For it to happen week one was super unexpected. It was great. I'm super happy for Mike Pierce. I hope he can go on to have, like, I don't know, like 10 sacks or something. That would be wild. 360 pounds and 10 sacks? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, he dude, he looked great go. in training camp, too. Our guy Jeb was out there on a daily basis just saying. He was saying two things. The offense looks like a disaster. Everything is a checkdown, and everything's incohesive. And sure enough, that carried its way. But he said Michael Pierce looks legit. And so, um, my player of the week, KJ Osborne, seven catches for seventy six yards. I mean, Irv Smith Jr. going down. I think had everyone feeling like, man, who's the, who's the third option? Is it going to be Conklin? Uh, Mike Zimmer said. Probably going to wind up with a lot of three wide receiver sets and someone's going to have to step up. And for KJ Osborne to be targeted nine times in really his, that's his first major run. I mean, he's had snaps before, but like that's his first major run as a rotation wide receiver for Kirk to trust and find him seven times out of nine targets for 76 yards. It just feels like, all right, there's a reliable safety blanket in there that's better than Chad Beebe uh, that you can slot in and feel comfortable about. Yeah, that fourth that fourth down 100%. catch was that was big. That was real big. I mean, that yeah. that third and twenty four that he converted was cool and all, but I mean, the guy just missed a tackle, an easy tackle. But that fourth down, that was that was big. That was like his moment, and he executed it. Again, can't take nothing away from him on that one. That was just pure just skill right there. Something that he yeah. just didn't have last season. Honorable mention to CJ Ham having two false start penalties in the first fifteen seconds of that football game, <laughs> bouncing back. <laughs> Bouncing back to catch two passes for nine yards. Uh, let's let's give it up for CJ Ham, everybody. A couple clutch touches later in that game. Yes, absolutely. And uh, before we say goodbye, I just want to shoot a huge thank you to the people in the comments. You guys have been having a fantastic debate that we've been keeping an eye on all show. Just know that everything we say on this show is the same mantra that Phil and those guys have on Purple Daily. All we care about is the championship. We're, we're not here to to uh, appease your feelings. We're here to give you what we believe is the truth with conviction. And we just want a title and that's it. Phil, we we greatly appreciate you coming on. And as we have given you this absolute life changing platform, uh, (laughs) uh, we want to give you the opportunity to uh, plug what you guys have going on over there at score North. Cause I know there are a lot of really exciting things you have. Yeah, man. So uh, thank you, guys. So Purple Daily is literally a daily seven day a week Viking show. We've even added some bonus episodes. Our guy, Realistic Randy, who's an OG caller from uh, the old radio event line days. He's jumping on Tuesday nights with us. Um, And I think we're going to have another we're going to have a former Viking edition here soon that I'm just sort of working on this week. So we got some cool announcements happening. And then Mackie and Judd is our other daily show. You can find Mackie and Judd and Purple Daily on scorenorth.com, Apple, Spotify, and both YouTube channels, Scornorth YouTube and Purple Daily YouTube. And uh, you brought up that 49ers debacle in week one from like six years ago. And don't ask me why, but I literally have like cataloged audio from that game on my computer. I'm going to leave you with this. You think you like football? Trent Dilfer doesn't just really like football. He loves football. Carlos <laughs> high penetration. Boom, and then the spin move. We've seen power 
We've seen acceleration by Carlos Hyde. Welcome NFL to Carlos Hyde, the bell cow back for the San Francisco 49ers. Football! Football, yeah! yeah. Football! Carlos Hyde just putting guys on skates, baby. <laughs> uh, that that was good stuff, Phil. Thank you once again for coming on. Thank you, Deshaun. Thank you to our producer Dave, who has been hanging out in the background, making sure that this ship smooth has a smooth sail here this evening. Thank you to everybody in the comments section. We greatly appreciate you hanging out with us. This is uh, one of the highest rated shows Deshaun and I have done so far, and it is thanks to you that we continue to do this. And uh, just remember, even though today's Monday was black, you come here because we turn it purple. Have a great night. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell. And if you're listening on your favorite aggregator, make sure you rate us. And always feel free to join the conversation here at Climbing the Pops.